0: This money represents just a portion of what you earn. It's for you and your family. Save a fixed percentage each pay period, and then invest it intelligently, and over time you'll start living a life where your money works for you instead of you working for your money. And you don't have to wait for the process to start working it's magic. You might say, but Tony, where do I come up with the money to save? I'm already spending all the money I have. We'll talk about a simple yet extraordinary technique to make saving money painless. But in the meantime, let me remind you of my friend Angela, the one who realized she could drive a new car for half the money she was spending on her old car. Well, guess what she did with 50% of the money she was paying out? She put it toward her freedom fund her investment for life. When we started, she thought she couldn't save anything, the next thing you know she was saving 10%. Then she even added an additional 8% from her savings on the cost of the car for short-term goals as well. But she never touches the 10% of her income that is locked in for her future. In the end, it doesn't matter how much money you earn. As we have seen, if you don't set aside some of it, you can lose it all. But here you won't just set it aside stuffed under your mattress. You'll accumulate it in an environment you feel certain is safe, but still offers the opportunity for it to grow. You'll invest it and, if you follow the money power principles covered in these pages, you'll watch it grow to a kind of tipping point, where it can begin to generate enough and interest to provide the income you need for the rest of your life. You might have heard some financial advisors call this pile of money a nest egg. It is a nest egg, but I call it your money machine because if you continue to feed it and manage it carefully, it will grow into a critical mass, a safe, secure pile of assets invested in a risk-protected, tax-efficient environment that earns enough money to meet your day-to-day expenses, your rainy-day emergency needs and your sunset days of retirement spending. Sound complicated? It's actually pretty simple. Here's an easy way to picture it. Imagine a box you'll fill with your investment savings. You'll put money into it every pay period a set percentage that you get to determine. Whatever that number is, you've got to stick to it. In good times and bad. No matter what. Why? Because the laws of compounding punish even one missed contribution. Don't think of it in terms of what you can afford to set aside that's a sure way to sell yourself short. And don't put yourself in a position where you can suspend, or even invade, your savings if your income slows to a trickle some months and money is tight. What percentage works for you? Is it 10%? Or 15%? Maybe 20%? There's no right answer here only your answer. What does your gut tell you? What about your heart? If you're looking for guidance on this, experts say you should plan to save at least a minimum of 10% of your income, although in today's economy many agree 15% is a far better number, especially if you're over the age of 40. You'll find out why in section 3. Can anybody remember when the times were not hard and money not scarce? Ralph Waldo Emerson. By now you might be saying, this all sounds great in theory, Tony, but I'm spread thin enough as it is. Every penny is accounted for. And you wouldn't be alone. Most people don't think they can afford to save. But frankly, we can't afford not to save. Believe me, all of us can find that extra money if we really have to have it right now for a real emergency. The problem is in coming up with money for our future selves, because our future selves just don't seem real. Which is why it's still so hard to save even when we know that saving can make the difference between retiring comfortably in our own homes or dying broke with a tiny bit of financial support from the government. We've already learned how behavioral economists have studied the way we fool ourselves about money. And later in this chapter I'll share some of the ways we can trick ourselves into doing the right thing automatically. But here's the key to success, you have to make your savings automatic. As Burton Malkiel told me during our visit, the best way to save is when you don't see the money in the first place. It's true. Once you don't even see that money coming in, you'll be surprised how many ways you find to adjust your spending. In a few moments I'll show you some great, easy ways to automate your savings so that the money gets redirected before it even reaches your wallet or your checking account. But first, let's look at some real examples of people living from paycheck to paycheck who managed to save and build real wealth even when the odds were against them. Delivering Millions Theodore Johnson, whose first job was with the newly formed United Parcel Service in 1924, worked hard and moved his way up in the company. He never made more than $14,000 a year, but here's the magic formula, he set aside 20% of every paycheck he received and every Christmas bonus, and put it into company stock. He had a number in his head, a percentage of income he believed he needed to save for his family just as you will by the end of this chapter, and he committed to it. Through stock splits and good old-fashioned patience, Theodore Johnson eventually saw the value of his UPS stock soar to over 70 million dollars by the time he was 90 years old. Pretty incredible, don't you think? And the most incredible part is that he wasn't a gifted athlete like Mike Tyson, or a brilliant director like Francis Ford Coppola, or even a lofty corporate executive. He ran the personnel department. But he understood the power of compounding at such an early age that it made a profound impact in his life and, as it turned out, in the lives of countless others. He had a family to support, and monthly expenses to meet, but to Theodore Johnson, no bill in his mailbox was more important than the promise of his future. He always paid his freedom fund first. At the end of his life, Johnson was able to do some beautiful, meaningful things with all that money, He donated over $36 million to a variety of educational causes, including $3.6 million in grants to two schools for the deaf, because he'd been hard-of-hearing since the 1940s. He also set up a college scholarship fund at UPS for the children of employees. Have you heard the story of Osceola McCarty from Hattiesburg, Mississippi a hard-working woman with just a sixth-grade education who toiled for 75 years washing and ironing clothes? She lived simply and was always careful to set aside a portion of her earnings. I put it in savings, she explained of her investment philosophy. I never would take any of it out. I just put it in. It just accumulated. Oh boy, did this woman's money accumulate. At 87 years old, McCarty made national news when she donated $150,000 to the University of Southern Mississippi to start a scholarship fund. This woman didn't have the compelling screen presence of a Kim Basinger, or the distinctive musical talent of a Willie Nelson, but she worked hard and knew enough to see that her money worked hard too. I want to help somebody's child go to college, she said and she was able to do just that, on the back of her good diligence. There was even a little left over for a small luxury item, she bought an air conditioner for her house. All the way at the other end of the spectrum, we see the rousing example of Sir John Templeton, one of my personal role models, and one of the greatest investors of all time. I had the privilege of meeting John and interviewing him several times over the years, and I'm including our last interview in our billionaire's playbook. Here's a little background. He didn't start out as Sir John. He came from humble beginnings in Tennessee. John had to drop out of college because he couldn't afford the tuition, but even as a young man, he recognized the incremental power of compounded savings. He committed to setting aside 50% of what he earned, and then he took his savings and put it to work in a big way. He studied history and noticed a clear pattern. Tony, you find the bargains at the point of maximum pessimism, he told me. There's nothing nothing that will make the price of a share go down except the pressure of selling. Think about it. When things are going well in the economy, you might get multiple offers on your house, and you'll hold out for the highest price. In bull markets, it's hard for investors to get a good deal. Why? When things are going well, it's human nature to think they're going to continue going well forever. But when there's a meltdown, people run for the hills. They'll give away their homes, their stocks, their businesses for next to nothing. By going against the grain, John, a man who started with practically nothing, became a multi-billionaire. How did he do it? Just when Germany was invading Poland in 1939, plunging Europe into World War II and paralyzing the world with fear and despair, he scraped together $10,000 to invest in the New York stock market. He bought 100 shares of every company trading under $1, including those considered nearly bankrupt. But he knew what so many people forget, that night is not forever. Financial winter is a season, and it's followed by spring. After World War II ended in 1945, the US economy surged, and Templeton's shares exploded into a multi-billion dollar portfolio. We saw the same kind of growth happen as the stock market soared from the lows of March 2009 to more than 142% growth by the end of 2013. But most people missed it. Why? When things are going down, we think they're going to go down forever pessimism takes over. I'll show you in Chapter 4.4, Timing is Everything, a system that can help you keep your head and continue to invest when everyone else is afraid. It's in these short, volatile periods that astronomical returns really become available. I took those insights to my platinum partners, an exclusive mastermind group I'd started to support my foundation and shared with them some of the potential opportunities in front of them. Take the Las Vegas Sands Corporation listed on the New York Stock Exchange. On March 9, 2009, its stock price had dropped to $2.28 a share. And today it's $67.41 a 3,000% return on your money. That's the power of learning to invest when everyone else is afraid. So what can we learn from Sir John Templeton? It's amazing what research, faith, and action can do if you don't let everybody else's fears paralyze you. This is a good lesson to remember if, as you're reading these pages, we're going through more tough financial times. History proves that those down and scary times are the times of greatest opportunities to invest and win. He knew if he could set aside half of his meager earnings, he'd stake himself to where he could take full advantage of any investment opportunities. But even more important, he became one of the world's leading philanthropists, and after he became a British citizen, the Queen of England knighted him for his efforts. Even in death, his legacy of giving continues, each year, the John Templeton Foundation gives away more money in grants to advance human progress through breakthrough discoveries about 70 million dollars than the Nobel Prize Commission awards in a decade it's the great takeaway of theodore johnson's story you don't have to be a financial genius to be financially free the lesson of osceola mccarty's life even a day laborer can pinch enough pennies to make a meaningful difference the lesson of these three wise investors by committing to a simple but steady code of savings by drawing down on your income each pay period and paying yourself first there's a way to tap the power of compound savings and let it take you to unimaginable heights. The most difficult thing is the decision to act, the rest is merely tenacity. Amelia Earhart, so how much will you commit to set aside? For Theodore Johnson, that number was 20%. For John Templeton, it was 50%. For Osceola McCarty, it was simply a case of penny wisdom, putting those pennies in an interest-bearing account and letting them grow. What about you? Got a number in mind? Great. It's time to decide, it's time to commit. It's time to take the first of the seven simple steps to your financial freedom. The most important financial decision of your life needs to be made right now. It's time for you to decide to become an investor, not just a consumer. To do this, you simply have to decide what percentage of your income you will set aside for you and your family and no one else. Once again, this money is for you. For your family. For your future. It doesn't go to the Gap or to Kate Spade. It doesn't go to expensive restaurants or a new car to replace the one that still got 50,000 miles to go on the odometer. Try not to think of it in terms of the purchases you're not making today. Focus instead on the returns you'll reap tomorrow. Instead of going out for dinner with friends at a cost, say, of $50 why not order in a couple pizzas and beers and split the cost among your group? Trade one good time for another, save yourself about $40 each time out, and you'll be way ahead of the game. What's that, you say? $40 doesn't sound like much? Well, you're right about that, but do this once a week, and put those savings to work, and you could take years off your retirement time horizon. Do the math, you're not just saving $40 a week, but this one small shift in your spending can save you approximately $2,000 each year, and with what you now know, that $2,000 can help to harness the power of compounding, and help you to realize big, big gains over time. How big? How about $500,000 big? That's right, a half million dollars. How? If you had Benjamin Franklin's advisors, they'd tell you to put your money in the market, and if you too generate an 8% compounded return over 40 years, that $40 weekly savings, $2,080 per year, will net you $581,944. More than enough to order an extra pizza with everything on it. Are you starting to see how the power of compounding can work for you, even with just a few small, consistent actions? And what if you found some more aggressive savings than $40 a week? Even $100 could mean a $1 million difference at the time you would need it most. Remember, you can't begin to tap into the awesome power of compounding until you commit to this all-important savings piece. After all, you can't become an investor until you have something to invest. It's basic, the foundation for creating wealth, the difference between being a wage earner and an investor, And it starts with setting aside a portion of your income that you lock away automatically and keep for yourself and your family. So what will it be? 10%? 12%? 15%? 20%? Find your threshold and circle it. Highlight it. Click on it. Commit to it. Make it happen. And automate it. How do you automate it? You can start by downloading our free app from this site. It's a great way to begin your journey by setting in place automatic reminders to capture your commitments and make sure you implement your new plan. If you haven't done it yet, do it now. It will help guide you through the following easy steps. If you get a regular paycheck, you'll most likely be able to set up an automated plan with a call to the Human Resources Department, instructing it to send a specific percentage of your paycheck that you and you alone choose directly to your retirement account. If you already have automatic deductions going into your 401k, you can increase the amount to the percentage you've chosen. And in the following sections of this book, I'll show you how to make sure your retirement plan is set up in such a way that you can actually win this game, to make sure you're not paying hidden fees, and that your money is free to grow in a compounded environment ideally, tax-deferred or tax-free for maximum growth. Got that taken care of? Outstanding. But what about if you're self-employed, or if you own your own business or work on commission? No problem. Just set up an automatic transfer from your checking account. What if you don't have a retirement account a place to put your dedicated savings? Simple, stop right now, jump online, and open up a savings or retirement account with a bank or financial institution. You can check out this link with lots of choices to help you locate one that's a good fit for you or, or you can find one on our app. Or, if you're feeling low tech and looking to roll up your sleeves and get started in a hands-on way, simply walk down the street and visit your banker. When's a good time to get started on this? Would now be a good time? Go ahead, I'll wait. If you don't want to work, you have to work to earn enough money, so that you won't have to work. Ogden Nash, great, you're back. You got it done. Congratulations. You've just made the most important financial decision of your life the first of the 7 simple steps to financial freedom. Now you're on your way to converting your dreams into reality. In the pages ahead, I'll share with you some of the safest, most certain strategies to grow your money in a tax-advantaged way. But for now let's just lock down this basic savings piece, because your financial future will flow from your ability to save systematically. Most of you probably know this on some level. But if you know it, and you're still not doing anything about it well, then you just don't know it. Contrary to popular wisdom, knowledge is not power it's potential power. Knowledge is not mastery. Execution is mastery. Execution will trump knowledge every day of the week. I hate losing more than I even want to win. Brad Pitt as Oakland A's general manager Billy Bean in Moneyball, what if, after everything you've just learned, you still haven't taken that first step to set aside a percentage of your earnings to save for compounded interest? Is there something holding you back? What's really going on? Could it be that you're not systematically saving money because it feels like a sacrifice a loss instead of a gift to yourself today and in the future? In my search for answers, I met with Shlomo Benartzi of the UCLA Anderson School of Management. He said, Tony, the problem is people feel like the future is not real. So it's hard to save for the future. Benartzi and his colleague, Nobel Prize winner Richard Thaler of the University of Chicago, came up with an amazing solution called Save More Tomorrow, smart, with a simple but powerful premise. If it hurts too much to save more money now just wait until your next pay raise. How did they come up with it? First, Shlomo told me, they had to address the challenge of immediate gratification, or what scientists call present bias. He gave me an example, When he asked a group of students whether they wanted a banana or some chocolate for a snack when they met again in two weeks, a full 75% said they wanted a banana. But two weeks later, with the choices in front of them, 80% picked the chocolate. Self-control in the future is not a problem, said Shlomo. It's the same with saving, he told me. We know we should be saving. We know we'll do it next year. But today we go and spend. As a species, we're not only wired to choose today over tomorrow, but also we hate to feel like we're losing out on something. To illustrate the point, Shlomo told me about a study in which monkeys are not so distant cousins were given an apple while scientists measured their physiological responses. Enormous excitement. Then another group of monkeys was given two apples. They also displayed enormous excitement. And then one change was made, The monkeys that were given two apples had one taken away from them. They still had one apple, but what do you think happened? You guessed it. They were angry as hell. Scientifically speaking. Think this happens with people too? In fact, how often does this happen with the average person? We forget what we already have, don't we? Remember this study when I tell you the story of a billionaire named Adolf Merkel in the next chapter? You'll have a flash of insight. The bottom line is, if we feel like we're losing something, we avoid it, we won't do it. That's why so many people don't save and invest. Saving sounds like you're giving something up, you're losing something today. But you're not. It's giving yourself a gift today of peace of mind, of certainty, of the large fortune in your future. So how did Benartzi and Thaler get around these challenges? They came up with a simple system to make saving feel painless. It aligns with our natures. As Shlomo said in a TED Talk, Save More Tomorrow invites employees to save more maybe next year sometime in the future when we can imagine ourselves eating bananas, volunteering more in the community, exercising more, and doing all the right things on the planet. Here's how it works, you agree to automatically save a small amount of your salary 10%, 5%, Or even as little as 3%. This is a number so small you won't even notice the difference. Then you commit to saving more in the future, but only when you get an increase in pay. With each pay raise, the percentage saved would automatically get a little larger, but you wouldn't feel it as a loss, because you never had it in the first place. Benartzi and Thaler first tested the Save More Tomorrow plan almost 20 years ago at a company in the Midwest where the blue-collar workers said they couldn't afford to squeeze another dime out of their paychecks. But the researchers persuaded them to let their employer automatically divert 3% of their salaries into a retirement account, and then add 3% more every time they got a pay raise. The results were amazing. After just five years and three pay raises, those employees who thought they couldn't afford to save were setting aside just under a whopping 14% of their paychecks. And 65% of them were actually saving an average of 19% of their salaries. When you get to 19%, you're approaching the kinds of numbers that made Theodore Johnson, the UPS man, incredibly wealthy. It's painless, and it works. It's been proven time and again. Let me show you the chart that Shlomo uses to illustrate the impact that each increase in savings will have on an employee's lifestyle. At 3%, there's an image of a pair of sneakers because that's all you'll be able to afford if you save only 3%. At 4%, there's a bicycle. It goes all the way up to 14%, where there's a luxury car and the clear message that life is great. That's a big difference. Now 60% of larger companies are offering plans like Save More Tomorrow. Find out if yours does, and if not, show this book to the HR department and see if you can get one put in place. Of course, you'll still need to go out and actually earn your raise your boss isn't likely to hand it to you just because you've asked nicely. But once you do, you're free to earmark the full amount of the raise, or just a portion, depending on your circumstances. In some cases, if you work for a matching company, your employer will help to effectively double your contribution and you'll be well on your way soon enough. In fact, below is a link to an online save more tomorrow calculator that will allow you to see the impact on your own financial future. If your employer doesn't offer the plan, you can set one up with America's best 401k and many other 401k systems. You could start out with 5%, although I would encourage you to start with no less than 10% if at all feasible, automatically going into your Freedom Fund and then commit to 3% more every time you get a raise. Go online or make one phone call and it will be happening for you. You could do this today and lock in your future in the most painless way possible. There's no excuse for you not to do it. You can even go to our app where we've pre-written an email that you can send to your boss or head of HR so you can put this process to work for you right away. How's that for easy? do it right now. But what if you're self-employed? What if you own your own business, and you feel like you need to put every cent into it? Believe me, you'll find a way. What if there was a new tax that came out, and you had to pay 10% more, or even 15% more to the government? You'd hate it. You'd scream bloody murder. But you'd find a way to pay it. So think of this percentage as a tax you get to pay because the money doesn't go to Uncle Sam, but to your family and future self. Or think of yourself as a vendor who's got to be paid first. If it has to be done, you'll do it. But in this case, it's something you're setting aside that is yours and your family's to keep forever, right? And remember, you want to automate it. That's the whole secret, earn more, spend less, and automate it like letters of fire across the sky. As a young man, I came across George Samuel Classen's classic 1926 book The Richest Man in Babylon, which offered common-sense financial advice told through ancient parables. I recommend it to everyone. Over the years, one passage has stayed with me, a part of all I earn is mine to keep. Say it in the morning when you first arise. Say it at noon. Say it at night. Say it each hour of every day. Say it to yourself until the words stand out like letters of fire across the sky. Impress yourself with the idea. Fill yourself with the thought. Then take whatever portion seems wise. Let it be not less than one-tenth and lay it by. Arrange your other expenditures to do this if necessary. But lay that portion first. No one would have remembered the Good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He had money as well. Margaret Thatcher, lay that portion first, my friend. And then act on it. It doesn't matter what the number is, just get started. Ideally, it shouldn't be less than 10%. But as time goes by, make the number mean something. The next step. Now that you've set up an automated investment plan your Freedom Fund, your new money machine there may be two questions burning in your mind first where do i put this money and second how much am i going to need to achieve financial security or freedom we're going to answer both of those questions clearly and the answers are going to come from the best financial achievers in the world but first we need to understand what you're really investing for what's behind your personal desire for financial freedom And what does wealth really mean to you? What are you really after? So let's take a quick moment just a few pages to look at how you are going to master money. Chapter 1.4 Money Mastery It's time to break through gratitude is the sign of noble souls. Aesop. Money is one of the ways we can turn the dreams we have into the reality we live. Without enough money, or a true scarcity of it, life can feel miserable. But when you have money in your pocket, does everything automatically get better? I think we all know the answer. Money can't change who we are. All it does is magnify our true natures. If you're mean and selfish, you have more to be mean and selfish with. If you're grateful and loving, you have more to appreciate and give. Take a moment and think back to the financial meltdown of 2008. Trillions of dollars of stock and home values evaporated into thin air. Millions of jobs were lost in a matter of months. What did you experience? How did it hit you? How did it affect your family? How about your friends? Some of us reacted with fear, some with anger, some with resignation, some with resolve. All these responses were not about money but about us. These events shined a light on what money really means to us. What power we give it. Whether we let money control us or whether we take control of it. Your money or your life. One of the most powerful examples I know from that time is a gentleman named Adolf Merkel. In 2007 he was the 94th richest man in the world, and the richest man in Germany, with a net worth of 12 billion dollars, He owned the largest pharmaceutical company in Europe, and then he expanded his empire into manufacturing and construction. He was proud of what he'd accomplished. He was also something of a speculator. In 2008 he decided to make a bet in the stock market. He was so certain that Volkswagen was going down, he decided to short the company. Just one problem, Porsche made a move to buy Volkswagen, and the stock price shot up, not down. Almost overnight, Merkel lost nearly three-quarters of a billion dollars on that single gamble. To make matters worse, he desperately needed some cash to pay off a huge loan. But in 2008, banks weren't loaning money to anyone, not you, not me, not billionaires not even other banks. So what did Merkel do? Search for new financing? Cut his expenses? Sell some companies at a loss? No. When he realized he'd lost a total of three billion dollars, and was no longer the richest man in Germany, that he had failed his family, he wrote a suicide note and walked in front of a speeding train. That's right. He killed himself. In a tragic irony, his family discovered only a few days later that the loans he sought had come through, and his companies were saved. Did Adolf Merkel die because of money? Or did he die because of what money meant to him? For Merkel, money was an identity. It was a source of significance. The loss of his status as the richest man in Germany was too much to bear, and he felt like a failure even though there was still $9 billion left in his pocket. You might be thinking, what a waste. But it may be a little too easy for us to judge this man. How often have we attached our identity or our future prospects to money at some level? Probably more than we'd all like to admit the billionaire who wants to die broke. On the other hand, there are people like Chuck Feeney, an Irish-American from Elizabeth, New Jersey, and a self-made billionaire. Have you ever tried to get through an airport anywhere in the world and found yourself lured into a room full of shiny bottles of liquor and perfume and other tax-free luxury items? Duty-free shopping, DFS. That's Chuck Feeney's idea. He started with nothing in 1960 and ended up with a sales empire worth $7.5 billion. At one point, Forbes had listed him, like Merkel, as one of the richest men in the world. But Feeney was so humble, you would never have known it. Most of his life, he didn't own a car or a home. He flew coach and wore a plastic watch. Like Merkel, his bank account was dwindling right now he's in his 80s, and Feeney has just over $1 million left to his name. But the big difference between him and Merkel is that instead of trying to hold on to every last penny, Chuck Feeney gave away all his money. This is a guy who, for the last 30 years, has made it his mission to take this vehicle called money and use it to change lives everywhere. His philanthropy reaches all over the world from helping to create peace in Northern Ireland, to fighting AIDS in South Africa, to educating kids in Chicago. The most amazing thing about Feeney is that he did it all anonymously. Feeney wanted no credit. In fact, only recently has word gotten out that he's the man behind all these incredible projects. And he's still going. Chuck Feeney says his goal is to bounce the last check he writes. Obviously money meant very different things for Adolf Merkel and Chuck Feeney. What does money really mean to you? Do you use money, or does money use you? Like i said from the beginning, if you don't master money, at some level, it's going to master you. The ultimate goal. Giving back. For me, money was always out of reach as a child. It was always a source of stress because there was never enough of it. I remember having to knock on the neighbor's door to ask for food for my brother and sister and me. Then, on Thanksgiving Day when I was eleven years old, something happened that changed my life forever. As usual, there was no food in the house, and my parents were fighting. Then I heard someone knocking at the front door. I opened it a crack and saw a man standing on the steps with grocery bags filled with enough food for a big Thanksgiving dinner. I could hardly believe it. My father always said that nobody gave a damn about anybody. But all of a sudden someone I didn't know, who wasn't asking for anything in return, was looking out for us. It made me think, does this mean that strangers care? And I decided that if strangers care about me and my family, I care about them. What am I going to do? I promised myself that day, I was going to find a way, somehow, someday, to give back and pay it forward. So, when I was 17, I saved my money from working nights as a janitor, and went out on Thanksgiving and fed two families. It was one of the most moving experiences of my life. It lifted my spirit to see faces turn from despair to joy. Truly, it was as much a gift to me as it was to them. I didn't tell anybody what I was doing, but the next year, I fed four families. Then eight. I wasn't doing it for brownie points, but after eight, I thought man, I could use some help. So I enlisted some friends, and they got into it too. It grew and grew. Now my foundation feeds 2 million people every year in 36 countries, through our international basket brigades. Would I have known the joy of giving if it wasn't for that terrible Thanksgiving when I was 11? Who knows? Some would call it luck or fate or plain old good fortune. I see the hand of God in it, I call it grace. Here's what I know, I learned the joy of giving, and it had nothing to do with money. Money is simply a vehicle for trying to meet our needs and not just our financial needs. Much of our life is guided by the beliefs we develop over the course of time, the story we create about what life's about, how we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do or give. Ultimately, what's going to make us happy or fulfilled? Everyone has a different happy. Some people find happiness pleasing others, while others find happiness in power and domination. Others define their happy as a billion dollars. Some think the way to happiness and a meaningful life is to get closer to God and give up everything material. Still others think the ultimate idea of happiness is freedom. Whatever emotion you're after, whatever vehicle you pursue building a business, getting married, raising a family, traveling the world whatever you think your nirvana is, I have found it's only an attempt by your brain to meet one or more of six human needs. These six basic needs make us tick. They drive all human behavior and are universal. They are the force behind the crazy things other people do and the great things we do. We all have the same six needs, but how we value those needs, and in what order, determines the direction of our life. Why are the six human needs so important to understand? Well, if you're going to build wealth, you've got to know what you're really after what you're building it for. Are you looking for wealth to feel certain and secure? Are you chasing wealth to feel special and unique? Or are you looking to have a sense of contribution? You want to do things for others in a way you've never been able to do before. Or maybe all of the above. If you value certainty as the most important need in your life, you're going to move in a very different direction, act differently in relationships, in business and finance than if love is your number one need. If we get underneath what you're really after, it's not money at all. What you're really after is what you think money is going to give you. Ultimately, it's a set of feelings. And beneath those feelings are needs. Need 1. Certainty slash comfort. The first human need is the need for certainty. It's our need to feel in control and to know what's coming next so we can feel secure. It's the need for basic comfort the need to avoid pain and stress, and also to create pleasure. Does this make sense? Our need for certainty is a survival mechanism. It affects how much risk we're willing to take in life in our jobs, in our investments, and in our relationships. The higher the need for certainty, the less risk you'll be willing to take or emotionally bear. By the way, this is where your real risk tolerance comes from. But what if you're totally certain all the time? If you knew what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, how it was going to happen. You knew what people were going to say before they said it. How would you feel? At first you'd feel extraordinary, but eventually you'd be what? Bored out of your mind. Need to. Uncertainty slash variety. So, God, in her infinite wisdom, gave us a second human need, which is uncertainty. We need variety we need surprise let me ask you a question do you like surprises if you answered yes you're kidding yourself you like the surprises you want the ones you don't want you call problems but you still need them to put some muscle in your life you can't grow muscle or character unless you have something to push back against need three significance The third is Significance, that basic human need that drove Adolf Merkel. We all need to feel important, special, unique, or needed. So how do some of us get Significance? You can get it by earning billions of dollars or collecting academic degrees distinguishing yourself with a Masters or a PhD. You can build a giant Twitter following. Or you can go on The Bachelor or become one of the next Real Housewives of Orange County. Some do it by putting tattoos and piercings all over themselves and in places we don't want to know about. You can get significance by having more or bigger problems than anybody else. You think your husband's a dirtbag? Take mine for a day. Of course, you can also get it by being more spiritual or pretending to be. Unfortunately, one of the fastest ways to get significance that costs no money and requires no education is through violence. If someone puts a gun to your head, in that instant he becomes the most significant thing in your life, right? Spending a lot of money can make you feel significant, and so can spending very little. We all know people who constantly brag about their bargains, or who feel special because they heat their homes with cow manure and sunlight. Some very wealthy people gain significance by hiding their wealth. Like the late Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart and for a time the richest man in America, who drove around Bentonville, Arkansas, in his old pickup, demonstrating he didn't need a Bentley, but, of course, he did have his own private fleet of jets standing by. Significance is also a moneymaker that's where my dear friend Steve Wynn has made his fortune. The man who made Las Vegas what it is today knows people will pay for anything they believe is the best anything that makes them feel special, unique, or important, anything that makes them stand out from the crowd. He provides the most exclusive, luxurious experiences imaginable in his casinos and hotels they are truly magnificent and unmatched in the world. He's got a nightclub called XS, what else? That is the hottest spot in Las Vegas. Even on a weeknight, it has a line out the door. Once you're in, you have the privilege of purchasing an ordinary bottle of champagne for $700, or if you want to step up and show everyone you're a player, you can spend $10,000 for a special Ono cocktail of rare vintage cognac and fresh orange juice that comes with a white gold necklace. Hey, it comes to your table with a sparkler, just so everybody knows you're significant and out of your mind. Need 4. Love and connection. The fourth basic need is love and connection. Love is the oxygen of life, it's what we all want and need most. When we love completely, we feel alive but when we lose love, the pain is so great that most people settle on connection, the crumbs of love. You can get that sense of connection or love through intimacy, or friendship, or prayer, or walking in nature. If nothing else works, you can get a dog. These first four needs are what I call the needs of the personality. We all find ways to meet these, whether by working harder, coming up with a big problem, or creating stories to rationalize them. The last two are the needs of the Spirit. These are more rare not everyone meets these. When these needs are met, we truly feel fulfilled. Need 5. Growth. Number 5 is Growth. If you're not growing, you're what? You're dying. If a relationship is not growing, if a business is not growing, if you're not growing, it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank, how many friends you have, How many people love you you're not going to experience real fulfillment. And the reason we grow, I believe, is so we have something of value to give. NEED 6 CONTRIBUTION That's because the sixth need is contribution. Corny as it may sound, the secret to living is giving. Life's not about me, it's about we. Think about it, what's the first thing you do when you get good or exciting news? you call somebody you love and share it. Sharing enhances everything you experience. Life is really about creating meaning. And meaning does not come from what you get, it comes from what you give. Ultimately, what you get will never make you happy long term. But who you become and what you contribute will. Now, since this is a book about your money, think about how money can fulfill the six human needs. Can money give us certainty? You bet! Variety? Check! Obviously it can make us feel important or significant. But what about connection and love? In the immortal words of the Beatles, money can't buy you love. But it can buy you that dog. And it can, unfortunately, give you a false sense of connection because it attracts relationships, although not always the most fulfilling kind. How about growth? Money can fuel growth in business and in learning. And the more money you have, the more you can contribute financially. But here's what I truly believe. If you value significance above all else, money will always leave you empty unless it comes from a contribution you've made. And if you're looking for significance from money, it's a high price to pay. You're looking for big numbers, but it's unlikely you'll find big fulfillment. The ultimate significance in life comes not from something external, but from something internal. It comes from a sense of esteem for ourselves, which is not something we can ever get from someone else. People can tell you you're beautiful, smart, intelligent, the best, or they can tell you that you are the most horrible human being on earth but what matters is what you think about yourself. Whether or not you believe that deep inside you are continuing to grow and push yourself, to do and give more than was comfortable or you even thought possible. There is nothing more significant than growing and giving. So while money is an extraordinary vehicle to meet many of our six needs, it's not the only one. When you are pursuing money, don't forget why you are pursuing it. You're trying to meet some emotional and psychological desires. Underneath those emotions are the needs that must be fulfilled for your life to be extraordinary. When the astronauts went to walk on the moon, imagine the journey they went on. From being a small child dreaming of someday flying to outer space, to the day when Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong stood on the moon, looking back at that extraordinary view of planet Earth that we've all seen only in pictures. They were the first human (laughs) human beings to do it in the entire history of the species how incredibly significant. What happened next? Ticker tape parades. Shaking the president's hand. They were heroes, And then what? What do you do after you've walked on the moon and you're only 39 years old? If you've studied the history of the astronauts or read their biographies, you'll know that many of them became extremely depressed. Why? Because the only way they could find adventure was by traveling into space or all the way to the moon. They forgot how to find adventure in a simple smile. I'm not going to preach to you anymore, but I wanted to take this short time to say that while it's time to master your money, don't wait to master yourself. The fastest way to feel connection, a sense of how significant your life is, a deep sense of certainty and variety, and put yourself in a state where you can give to others, is to find a way each day to appreciate more and expect less. The wealthiest person on earth is one who appreciates. I interviewed Sir John Templeton for the first time when I was 33 years old. Remember, he was the multi-billionaire who started with nothing and made all of his money when everyone else was afraid, during the worst times in history, World War II, Japan after the war, and in the late 1980s and early 1990s when massive inflation hit parts of South America. When others were fearful, he went out and invested. I asked him, what's the secret to wealth? And he said, Tony, you know it, and you know it well. You teach it to everyone. It's gratitude. When you're grateful, there is no fear, when you're grateful, there is no anger. Sir John was one of the happiest and most fulfilled human beings I have ever known. Even though he passed in 2008, all these years later his life continues to inspire others. If you want to be rich, start rich. What can you be grateful for today? Who can you be grateful for today? Could you even be grateful for some of the problems and the pain that you've been through in your life? What if you took on the new belief that everything in life happens for a reason and a purpose, and it serves you? What if you believed in your heart of hearts that life doesn't happen to you, it happens for you? That every step along the way is helping strengthen you so that you can become more, enjoy more, and give more? If you'll start from that place, money won't be the source of your pleasure or your pain. Making money will just be a fun journey of mastery and wealth a great vehicle to achieve what matters most in life. But as long as money is such a part of our lives, let's get right back on the money track. As heartfelt as this chapter has been, not all the people you'll meet along the financial path will be operating from the benevolent place of growth and contribution. You're going to be entering a world that is filled with people and organizations that too often will be looking to take advantage of your lack of experience and understanding. So I want to prepare you for what's ahead. Before we discuss where to put your money and what to look for, I have to show you what to look out for. There's a reason why most investors do not make money over time. I want to arm you with the knowledge that will both protect you and allow you to maximize the growth of your investments, so you can achieve true financial freedom faster than you can imagine. The peace of mind you deserve will soon be yours. Turn the page. Section 2 Become the Insider Know the rules before you get in the game. Chapter 2.0 Break Free Shattering the 9 Financial Myths Remember the Golden Rule, he who has the gold makes the rules. Unknown, you have to learn the rules of the game, and then you have to play better than anyone else. Albert Einstein. I know that you want to jump right in and learn where to put your money to obtain financial freedom. And I want to dive in and show you. I absolutely light up when I see someone really get it and come to understand and embrace that the game is truly winnable. But it's not enough to just save your money, get a great return, and reduce your risk. Risk. You have to know that there are a lot of people looking to take a piece of your wealth. The system is riddled with loopholes what I would call landmines that can blow up your financial future. So in this section, we're going to go through 9 myths you might call them lies that have been marketed to you over the years. And if you aren't aware of them, if you don't see them coming they will systematically destroy your financial future. This next section is where this book starts to pay off. In fact, if you have the average American salary of $50,000 per year, and currently save 10% of your income, and invest that money over time, you'll save $250,000 over your investment lifetime by just part of what you will learn in this section. That's 5 years of your current lifestyle, At your current income without having to work a single day and that is statistically proven not a number i'm pulling out of a hat if you make only thirty thousand dollars per year and save just five percent of your income each year you'll still save one hundred and fifty thousand dollar over your investment lifetime that's a half decade's worth of your current income without having to work for it if you're in the one hundred thousand dollar plus category this section could put $500,000 to $1,000,000 back in your pocket over your lifetime. Sounds like a massive promise, huh? I will let the numbers do the talking in the pages ahead. It's a short section, so pay attention because you're going to want to take immediate action. By shattering these myths, you will be able to immediately stop the bleeding in areas where you never thought you needed to. Knowing these nine myths will protect you and ensure that you get to the level of financial freedom that you're truly committed to. Let's begin. Welcome to the jungle. Whether you are a seasoned investor or just beginning to see yourself as an investor, the jungle that Ray Dalio so vividly described holds the same dangers for all of us. But most of the danger lies in the fact that what you don't know can hurt you. The offer. Offer. I want you to imagine that someone comes to you with the following investment opportunity, he wants you to put up 100% of the capital and take 100% of the risk, and if it makes money, he wants 60% or more of the upside to come to him in fees. Oh, and by the way, if it loses money, you lose, and he still gets paid. Are you in? I'm sure you don't need any time to think this through. It's a no-brainer. Your gut response has to be, there's no way I'm doing this. How absurd. The only problem is that if you're like 90% of American investors, you've invested in a typical mutual fund, and, believe it or not, these are the terms to which you've already agreed. That's right, there is $13 trillion in actively managed mutual funds 3 with 265 million account holders around the world. How in the world do you convince 92 million Americans to participate in a strategy where they willingly give up 60% or more of their potential lifetime investment upside with no guaranteed return? To solve this riddle, I sat down with the 85-year-old investment guru Jack Bogle, the founder of Vanguard, whose 64 years on Wall Street have made him uniquely qualified to shed light on this financial phenomenon. His answer? Marketing. Tony, it's simple. Most people don't do the math, and the fees are hidden. Try this, if you made a one-time investment of $10,000 at age 20 and, assuming 7% annual growth over time, you would have $574,464 by the time you're nearly my age 80. But, if you paid 2.5% in total management fees and other expenses, your ending account balance would only be $140,274 over the same period. Let's see if we've got this straight, you provided all the capital, you took all the risk, you got to keep $140,274, but you gave up $439,190 to an active manager. They take 77% of your potential returns? For what? Exactly. Money Power Principle 1. Don't get in the game unless you know the rules. Millions of investors worldwide are systematically marketed a set of myths investment lies that guide their decision making. This conventional wisdom is often designed to keep you in the dark. When it comes to your money, what you don't know can and likely will hurt you. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is pain, ignorance is struggle, ignorance is giving your fortune away to someone who hasn't earned it. A failed experiment. It's not just high-cost mutual funds that are the problem. The example above is just a peek under the sheets at a system designed to separate you from your money. Without exception, every expert I have interviewed for this book, from the top hedge funds managers to Nobel Prize winners, agrees that the game has changed. Our parents didn't have a fraction of the complexity or dangers to deal with that we have today. Why? They had a pension a guaranteed income for life. They had CDs that paid conservative but reasonable rates not the 0.22% you would be paid at the time of this writing, which won't even keep up with inflation. And some had the privilege of putting small investments into blue-chip stocks that paid steady dividends. That ship has sailed. The new system, which really got rolling in the early 80s with the introduction of the 401k, is an experiment that's now been conducted for the most part on the single largest generation in US history the baby boomers. How is this experiment working? This do-it-yourself pension system has failed, said Teresa Gilarducci a nationally recognized expert in retirement security at the New School for Social Research and an outspoken critic of the system as we know it. It has failed because it expects individuals without investment expertise to reap the same results as professional investors and money managers. What results would you expect if you were asked to pull your own teeth? Or do your own electrical wiring. What's changed? We exchanged our guaranteed retirement pensions with an intentionally complex and often extremely dangerous system, filled with hidden fees, which gave us freedom of choice. And somehow, in the midst of working your tail off, providing for your family, staying in shape, and taking care of the important relationships in your life, you are supposed to become an investment professional. You're supposed to be able to navigate this labyrinth of products, services, and unending risk of your hard-earned money? It's near impossible. That's why most people give their money to a professional, often a broker. A broker who by definition works for a company that is not required by law to do what's in your best interest, more on this baffling concept in myth 4. A broker who gets paid to funnel your money to the products that may be the most profitable for him and or his firm. Now, let me be clear, this is not another Bash Wall Street book. Many of the large financial institutions have pioneered some extraordinary products that we will explore and advocate throughout this book. And the vast majority of people in the financial services industry care intensely for their clients, and more often than not, they are doing what they believe to be the best thing. Unfortunately, many don't also understand how the house reaps profits whether the client wins or not. They are doing the best they can for their clients with the knowledge, training, and the tools, products, they have been provided.